Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where every other week or so, we crack open a cold one from way over in Europe somewhere, and we uh, taste a little bit of the culture. Yes, that's right, because uh, beer in Belgium is almost as old as, well, older than Belgium itself, actually. Technically, yeah. Technically older than Belgium. I like it. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, we're talking about Belgian beers and the whole culture, whole culture of Bel- Belgian beers. Like that, that's a that's a whole thing, as it turns out. And like uh, like Michael said in the intro, the the whole Belgian beer thing has been around, yeah, since since about the sixth century AD. Yeah, before even the Crusades, back at a time when beers were mostly being made by monks and churches Mm. and monasteries. Because Charlemagne promoted the development of beer so that monasteries could be self-sufficient. Yeah, and like you can still see that today with the... Trappist beers, the the whole concept behind that is self sufficiency. Yeah, and uh, Abbey beers began in the same way, though now they're a style rather than something that's yeah. Bast- specifically required to be made by an yeah. Abbey. Though there is now also an Abbey verification, mm. much like the Trappist one, that says yes, this is a proper Abbey beer. It it's it has been bastardized though. The requirements for it to, for a beer to be an Abbey beer are very low. It's basically all marketing at this point. Oh, yeah. It's nothing like the Trappists. Not even close. No, but, like... Hmm? Yeah, it's, it's a Trappist. And Abbey beers just cannot repel beer of that quality. <laughs> Amazing. I do still think about those Trappist beers we had for that episode... They were very, very good. Oh, so good. And we nearly had them again for this, because, of course, there are Trappist monasteries in Belgium. There's six of them, in fact. And uh, they do make Belgian beers, but we instead ended up with something we haven't had before, because mm. that's kind of what we try and do. Well, technically, we still haven't had those Trappist beers before, either. Well, not the Belgian ones, but we have no. had Trappist beers before. Yeah. And because their rules are so strict about what makes it a Trappist. There is... Because I mean, we've had a few different types of Trappist beer, mm. and there are definite similarities. But the in this particular case, the requirements of being called a Trappist don't... Uh, they, they don't really take into account style so much as quality and how it... Like, where it's made. Yes, true. They are still allowed to make a variety of styles. Yeah. Just and like just like Belgian beers. Yeah, and that there are so many styles mm. of Belgian beer. Uh, I saw one mention of about 250 different 
um, types of Belgian beer. Oh, wow. I mean, that's... Oh, that might have just been um, 250 different Belgian beers or Belgian breweries. Oh, possibly. That wouldn't wouldn't come as a surprise to me. Because, um, like, given that we've just said that Belgian beers have been around since before Belgium, technically, it's no surprise that the there's a lot of culture and history around brewing your own beer and drinking beer from when you basically school age. Uh, there's, um. Yeah, up until the 1960s, children at, like, school students were able to have a, basically a light beer with lunch. Hmm. Well, and it, it kind of makes sense because the consumption of beer in that part of the world in general began when beer was very low alcohol and was just safer to drink than water. And hmm. in some areas, that kind of stuck. Yeah. It became part of the cultural norm. It became part of the cultural norm, and they just kept it up. Mm. And yeah, Belgium, when Belgium became Belgium, was absolutely not immune from that desire to keep drinking beer that is huge in that part of the world. Yeah. So we have a documented history of Belgian beer dating back to the 3rd and 4th century AD with the... Uh, Gallia Roman era, when brewing was very much a woman's craft. The uh, the what did we call them the brew wives. Um, yes, I believe it was because the the men were out doing other things and brewing beer was considered housework almost. Mm. Like it was like the cooking. Yeah, you cooked, you cleaned, you brewed the beer. And uh, evident traces of domestic brewing activity have been found in the remains of Roman villas in Ronch. Ronchine, uh, Anthea, and Met, Met or Mette. Um, I'm butchering the, ruining the pronunciation. Sorry, guys. Uh, in uh, abbeys, in particular, though, the quality of beer was improved by adding hops, and uh, they were gradually used more often as brewers discovered that they prevented the beer from souring. So it was the the monasteries that really transformed beer into what it is today. Yeah, they needed it to be something that they could produce in quantities large enough to sell because they were the first properly commercial production line for beer. That's that's so interesting, don't you think? How it was the church that led the way in commercial brewing. Yeah, like everybody was just making it at home and they said, well, hold on a minute. What if we make it better than what everyone makes at home and then we can sell it and then our church is self-sufficient and doesn't have to beg for handouts? Hmm. Like creating, crafting a product that people want, like crafting a product that's in demand. Yeah. yeah. And they crafted a brewery. <laughs> the Abbey's the original craft brewery. The original craft brewers. <laughs> yeah, well, and in fact, it wasn't until around the 1600s that the production of Belgian beer was no longer reserved only for monks. Mm. It was yeah, around that time that other people started making it as well, but the situation did deteriorate somewhat 
thanks to the French Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, a lot of monasteries were forced to close. Mm. And that, that, and they didn't really pick back up until the early 20th century. Um, like, I mean, aside from the Trappist beers, like we're talking a lot of, just an aside, we're talking a lot about Trappist beers. We have a Trappist beer episode that fills in the blanks of uh, some of the things we're saying, I suppose. Yes, we're intentionally trying to leave out things we've already said in that episode. We don't mm. want to... There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, we don't want too yeah. much overlap. But yeah, the, the French Revolution wrecked a lot of Europe. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, in terms of brewery. Brewing. Yeah, that and, and the Napoleonic Wars, of course. Yeah. Where the biggest case of small man syndrome just messed up the area something fierce. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the beginning at the beginning of the 20th century, beers imported from England, Scotland, and Germany dominated the Belgian market at unbeatable prices. But um, as as the years went by, um, after the First World War, Belgian breweries started recovering and improving their products and focusing on uh, exporting the beers. So even though the old historic style survived, so wheat beers and lambics, or wit, wit beers and lambics, um, many, many older historic styles have kind of vanished. Yeah, because they, they had to dig back into some very old texts to find recipes and things for these styles because a lot of monasteries where they kept all of that stuff, they were destroyed. Mm. Like just completely gutted, yeah, and used for other purposes. Yeah, because basically anything, any metal was needed for armor and swords and other stuff like that. Yeah, and so a, a lot was lost. But uh, I, I think we can give a lot of credit to uh, Georges Lacambe in his complete treaty of beer making in 1851 for a fairly exhaustive inventory of Belgian beer styles oh, yeah. that was able to be used later to help bring some of it back. Hmm. And, of course, it was in that time around the 1920s that um, the modern styles were recreated. I, I won't say created because they existed before, but they were hmm. recreated. So the, the Belgian Pale Ale, the Triple, the Saison... And, of course, Trappist beer came back, I'll say with a vengeance, because it was mm. probably never as popular as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, what are we drinking? So, today, we are drinking a Le Chouf Blonde. Mm. And these blonde beers are a fantastic color. I mean, very, very similar to a pale ale in appearance. Mm. They're a little more... This particular one is a little more on the amber side to a lager. And it's cloudy. Yeah. Now, that said, though, amber ales are also a Belgian style. Mm. There is a Belgian style of amber ale. This is very much not one. It would be far more amber if this were an amber ale. Yeah. With the amount of head that this had, 
when we when you were pouring it, I'm expecting an ale. Yeah, me too. Lager, lager Sorry, does. A, yeah, I mean, la- lager doesn't get that sort of head on it. Not usually. It just disappears. On this, it really stuck about. Yeah. However, the the caveat to that is the Belgian beers are their own kind of category, and that and the whole reason why we're talking about them today. If you like a Belgian lager or a Belgian ale is totally different to say a pale ale from Australia or a pale ale from uh the US. Well yes, absolutely right. Hmm. This one, for example, as I reach for a glass definitely smells like a Belgian lager. Mm, it's got a bit of a fruitiness to it, though, mm. like in on the nose there. But it still has that kind of uh, cured meat smell that you'd expect in a European lager. Mm, true. It, it does to some extent. I'm trying to find some information about this beer because <laughs> naturally everything that's written on uh, on the label is in Belgian. Uh-huh. So now I have found... A definition, well, definition, found a description mm. of this particular beer. Apparently, it leaves citrus notes on the palate, followed by a refreshing, pleasantly spicy note, giving it a lovely lightness. With its 8% alcohol content and slightly hoppy taste, this golden beer has won over beer lovers from all over the world down the years. Its unique taste has won various awards. Nice. Mm. It's, it sounds like a really tasty beer. Mm, and it, it doesn't sound like a lager. Like, you don't get those sorts of flavors. If it actually has those sorts of flavors, you don't generally get that from a lager. Okay, so I guess let's taste it. Let's talk about this Belgian blonde beer. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, wow. That's definitely an ale. Yeah. And it's really creamy. It it really is. And there's still that hint of that cured meat flavor there, but it's mostly there must that must be in the hops. But it's yeah, it's very fruity, it's very refreshing this one. Yeah. Um, and it's look- a, Sorry? In part, that's why I chose a blonde, because it's summer here and it's it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Although it was not terribly hot today. It was only like 29 degrees, I think. Yeah. And that, that can, you know, change on a... Hourly basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, this is very refreshing, fruity. I am picking off those little bits of spice that they talked about. Mm. Yeah, the ingredients on the back say there's coriander in it. Which is interesting. It means that to some people, this beer probably tastes like soap. <laughs> Maybe. Or like it has hints of soap. Maybe. Um, yeah, it does have that, that creamy aftertaste that you expect from a... Well, that I'm ex- I was expecting from a Belgian beer. Yeah, because Belgian ales, especially, they do tend to be very creamy. Mm. And, and yeah, it's. Oh. Mm. 
It's not bitter. It's not not sweet. It's not tart. It's not citrusy. It's fruity. It's not. Uh, it doesn't really taste herby. Yeah, it's definitely like it's definitely beer, mm. but it lacks a lot of the things that might turn a person off beer. Hmm. Yeah, that sort of yeasty flavor. Yeah. It's it's there, but it's not there. It's not front and center, that's mm. for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a better phrase. Like, it, it's beer. It tastes like beer. Mm. But, yeah, it brings attention to something else rather than mm. beer. Yeah. Made from beer. <laughs> Made from beer. Yeah, right. Uh, this is... Eight percent, so it's pretty pretty strong. Which is another thing that one can expect from Belgian beers in mm. general. The Belgians don't mess about no, when it comes really to how don't. strong their beer is. Yeah. Um I like it. I really like this one. Um it's th- there's more body to it than say a typical pale ale or a lager. I would say, but definitely still refreshing and not full full bodied like a porter or a stout. Yeah, it's it's got a I guess a similar mouth feel to a porter or a stout, mm. but easier to like. This came in a seven hundred and fifty mil bottle, and I could see very easily just sitting down and drinking the whole thing over some pleasant conversation without mm. at any point thinking, oh, I can't have any more of this. Yeah. Which can sometimes happen with strong flavoured... Yeah, yeah, definitely. With strong flavoured food. Yeah. Or yeah. beers. And yeah, with, you know, with say, um, a double stout, you can really only have one. You can only have 375 mil of that, maybe 500 mil if it's a big bottle, mm. and then you're done. Yeah, 11 ounces, that's it. Yep, you won't be having dinner that night either. You've just had dinner, <laughs> you've, you've had your meal, it was a stout. Yeah. I I think this beer would pair very well to hearty Belgian food too, or even German food if we're going that route. Things like your like roast pork, or just roast meats, roast veggies, um, those... The, the kind of food you'd expect to see in Belgium and uh, even even the Netherlands and Germany. Yeah, stuff that's hot, meaty, a little bit greasy. And this would just cut right through. Well, I don't know if it'd cut, but it would definitely accompany it. Like, it'd make it real easy to wash down. Mm. <laughs> yes, cut was probably the wrong word. Mellow out. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's better. Like, a, li- yeah. a limoncello cuts... Yes. <laughs> this doesn't cut through... This wouldn't cut through grease. It would... Uh, it's, it's the drink you'd wash down the grease with. Yeah. So, I guess let's talk about other Belgian styles. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them, if you listened to our German Oktoberfest episode where we talked about German beers, some of them you'll recognize because some of the Belgian styles are there in Germany too. And I guess to some extent we'll skip over them and you can just 
listen to our Oktoberfest episode if you want to get more details on on those episodes. Mm. But uh, the double or double is, of course, popular in Germany. It's uh, 6 to 7.6%. That is uh, multi-rich and uh, has raisinated dried fruit flavors with practically no hoppiness and a dry finish. And the triple, which we had as our Trappist beer, um, is a very strong pale ale and uh, became associated with the Westmale triple. So it was widely copied by the breweries in Belgium, but then the term spread to the US and other countries. It, yeah, now would, I suppose you'd now use it in the same context as you'd use like a double IPA or a triple IPA, but for regular old pale ales. Yeah, I I suppose you would. And, of course, there's the Flemish Red, which uh, is... Its distinguishing features from a technical viewpoint are roasted malt. Fermentation by a mixture of several ordinary top-fermenting yeasts and a lactobacillus culture, and then maturation in oak. And uh, the result is a mildly strong drinking beer with a deep reddish-brown colour and a distinctly acidic, sour yet fruity and mouthy taste. Hmm. Uh, You've got the blonde or golden ale, which is what we're drinking now. They are light variations on pale ale, often made with Pilsner malt. You've also got the the Pils or Pale Lager, or Pilsner if you want to really stretch it out. Um, That style tends to be the most popular of of beer made and consumed in Belgium. Yeah, and uh, naturally they, they get stronger. The Belgian Dark Strong Ale, which I am quite a fan of, I must say, mm. is um, in most cases has big, bold, intense flavors with spices like cloves and peppers and dried fruits like figs, cherries, and plums blended to create a balance of sweetness, malt, and alcohol. And they normally run between 8 and 12%. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty boozy. Yeah, pretty strong. And uh, <clears throat> heck of a meal in a, in a bottle right there. Heck of a meal in a bottle. <laughs> Um, you've also got styles that overlap with German beers or beers from other countries like the Bock, the Wheat Beer, the IPA, um, even even the Amber Ale and Brown Ale and Scotch Ales. Yeah, and of course there is a Belgian Pale Ale. Naturally, they have their own in that style, mm. which is um, smoother. And potentially, because the Belgians seem to make all their beers ridiculously smooth, it's <laughs> probably even smoother than a standard pale ale. And, yeah. And uh, has less spice and floral character than most other Belgian styles. Mm, absolutely. They're, well, all, they're all delicious, by the way. Yeah. And I want to try every single one back-to-back on a big day. <laughs> and uh, I think we should probably talk about the Lambic because it's an interesting one that you don't yes. hear about much. N- no, you don't. Because the, uh, 
straight lambic will be relatively sour and earthy and funky with almost no hop bitterness. And straight lambics use spontaneous fermentation. They're practically uncarbonated and will vary greatly from batch to batch. Mm. And, uh... Well, we we had a lambic at one point, didn't we? When we did our craft brewery tour. Oh, yes, we did. A couple of years ago now. Yeah, because they just kind of rolled a dice with lambics and let the wild yeast come and play. Yeah. Which is interesting because we were told during that tour that once you've let the wild yeast in, you you can't get rid of them. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty much it for that thing, unless you're very, very good at sanitizing it. Yeah, and it's just that one is making lambics now. That's what it does. It makes lambics. Yeah. Um, The guy, I do remember a story about the guy that, I actually don't think it was from him, but... I heard a story about a uh, brewery that had a barn and they set up their uh, they set up their lambic fermented beers or lambic style beers in there and the beers ended up tasting the same batch upon batch after batch after batch because of the the dust in the barn the area around it being a farmstead sort of area. And so it had the same sort of bacteria in it that were affecting the beers in the same way. Yeah. But that kind of control is pretty rare. Pretty rare. Yeah, and historically, of course, it's a very old style because that would have been how it all began. Hmm. Yeah, Way back yeah. when. Yes. Because it wasn't until recently that, yeah, probably a good 150, 200 years ago that they actually discovered yeast and how yeast was actually the kind of main ingredient. Yeah, because they, they didn't really know how they were doing it before. They were controlling as many factors as they could which I guess allowed for a lot of consistency, but there were things that they didn't quite understand yet. Yeah. And I I also think the uh, sanitization or the lack of knowledge about sanitization meant that some of the yeast was left over from the previous batch and so improved. Well, that's what the quote-unquote spontaneous... Uh, fermentation was coming from. Mm, potentially. Hmm. Now, I guess we should also... Did, did we mention Saison? We did, didn't we? No. So, yeah, we should also mention that Saison is... Saison is yet another style that the Belgians also make. Mm. It is a French style. It is, but there is a Belgian version of this French style. Yeah, it's probably better. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a difficult beer to categorize because its color, alcohol content, ingredients, and overall profile vary wildly. Hmm. And uh, the defining feature really is the yeast that they choose to use. Hmm. Because, yeah, saisons are... 
Interesting. I mean, the, the style was first developed in the French-speaking region of Belgium for seasonal farmhands who were called saisonniers, ah. who needed something to drink in the absence of clean water. And part of the manic nature of the style comes from the earliest versions using pretty much anything that was plentiful and on hand at the farm, leading to the huge variation in flavors. Yeah. So if you see a saison marked as a table beer... It means it's on the low end of the alcohol content, usually below 5%. There you go. We but, should do, probably do an episode on yeah, Saison. They're, they're usually lice, fruity. The last one I had tasted like wine. It was a winey beer. Yeah, they, they can end up tasting... I think the last one I had basically tasted like a Chardonnay. Oh, wow. So. Like, was it the same one I had? I think it was. <laughs> I think it was the same one you had, and that's the that's the strangeness of it. Yeah, that it just depends what they put in the bloody thing. That's it. That is it. That's an episode. That totally. Yeah, totally. Um, and I haven't got much else. Yeah, no, that's an episode right right there. That's 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 it. That's We're done. Probably it. Yeah. So if you liked what you heard, everyone, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We are a good drop all about alcohol on your favorite podcast app, including Google Play, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, or YouTube Music, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and many more. We are also on the socials, Facebook and Insta Facebook, as a good <laughs> drop podcast. Mm. Uh, we also have a good old-fashioned website where you can check out our fairly large backlog of previous episodes agooddrop.com.au and if you want to send us feedback uh, suggestions for future episodes or if you have a favourite Belgian beer style that you would like us to know about we'd love to hear from you our email address is agooddrop at gmail.com and do be sure to tune in next time when things get interesting and we have another blinder it's been a while it has been a while and this time around we are doing blind scotch it's it's been a long time coming I think because blind whiskey was the first and then we did blind bourbon which wasn't entirely bourbon yeah that was good it was a good it was a good episode. It was interesting because we were very confused. <laughs> but now we have Scotch. Yes. Well, like, blind Scotch kind of sounds like a pirate, like the name of a pirate or a or a uh, one man band. <laughs> mm, blind Scotch, yeah. The Blind Scotch. Yes, or possibly a product from 3M. <laughs> scotch tape. Uh, <laughs> until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>